Suddenly it was there. There wasn't time to blink or speak or get scared. Click Hathaway's camera was loaded and he stood there listening to it rack spin film between his fingers and he knew he was getting a damned sweet picture of everything that was happening. The picture of Marnigan hunched huge over the control console, wrenching levers, jamming studs with freckled fists. And out in the dark of the forepart there was space and a star sprinkling in this meteor coming like blazing fury. Click Hathaway felt the ship move under him like a sensitive animal's skin. And then the meteor hit. It made a spike fist and knocked the rear jets flat. And the ship spun like a cosmic merry-go-round. HPPodcraft.com Holy cow! That is some high-octane action coming right at you mm. immediately. Yeah. That is Ray Bradbury's The Monster Maker, and he ain't playing. He is not. He's holding on to the story like like it's a, holding it under him like it's a sensitive animal's skin. When I read that, I thought, hey, I'm, I made that comparison a week ago, and I got in trouble. How come Ray Bradbury gets away with it? This was a funny suggestion, this story, to uh-huh. get because we put it out there on social media. Hey, we're thinking about some Monster Maker stories this summer. Any suggestions? And the user, Aniko, wrote, The Monster Maker by Ray Bradbury. <laughs> oh, yeah. Literally, if I'd have Googled Monster Makers, that might have come up. But thank you for that, because you could have been much more sarcastic in the way that you phrased yes. it. I don't know. Maybe the Monster Maker. <laughs> I actually looked back and realized that Aniko also suggested the stories Marches for Dracula's by Ambrose Bierce and Creatures from the Black Lejeune by Voltaire. Oh, wow. So we've been missing out on some obvious stuff. Yeah. Speaking of us, I'm Chad Pfeiffer. Oh, and I'm Chris Lackey. We're at hppodcraft.com and Patreon conducting... Strange studies of strange stories. And that reader was an old friend of mine, Lorelai Arisis. Lorelai is a writer, performer, activist, adventurer, improviser, and a genuine pageant queen. Mm-hmm. Yes. Lorelai is the president of the board of directors for Transcending Boundaries Incorporated, and she co-chaired the 2015 Transcending Boundaries Conference. She was also, much to her own surprise, the very first and still most famous Miss Trans New England. <laughs> 2009. <laughs> and that sentence is so rad. This is from the uh, Experience uh, American Repertory Theater website that I'm getting this bio. Uh-huh. But I just love that sentence because it says, much to her own surprise, which is so humble, but then yeah. also asserts, still most famous. <laughs> but that is true. She is still the most famous. Yeah. For the past seven years, Lorelai has written a popular monthly advice and opinion column called Ask a Trans Woman for the Rainbow Times newspaper. So we'll link out to all that yeah. in the show notes. The reason I wanted to cover some Monster Maker stories this month was because I was excited by the monster-making antics in The Colossus Chapter 2, which just dropped, in which you discover the horrors of the the castle of Elorne. I was confused that you wanted me to wear the monk robe and to shave the top of my head. Yeah. Because a method acting is what you said? Stanislavski, I used that word. Nobody's going to see me, so it it didn't really seem like it was an appropriate thing to do. But you insisted mm-hmm. that it's not about people seeing me, it's about how I see myself. That's <laughs> that's right. All of that is exactly as you're describing it. Yeah. I'm laughing because I'm remembering it. Yes. <laughs> so thank you for that. Well, I think it shows. Yeah. I think you can hear the texture of the robe mm-hmm. in the texture of your voice. Mm-hmm. Your soul is laid bare the way that you laid bare your scalp. <laughs> and I'm sorry about the divorce. Also in that chapter... Uh, I play, can you imagine trying to, if you, what if you just did that and then had to explain to Rachel, Chad told me my acting would be better if I shaved most of my head. 
The other reason I wanted to talk about Monster Makers this month is in honor of the song Hellions by Pitch Black Manor, the instrumental version of which you are hearing right now and have been hearing since the beginning of the episode. It will be featured actually in the next chapter of The Colossus, but more importantly, it is the first single from our new album, Night Creeps, which is our follow-up to Monster Classics and will be released officially on August 13th. We're starting pre-orders this month, however. We'll be selling some awesome t-shirts, more of those beautiful little Halloween manners, courtesy of CryptoCurium.com. And anytime you buy a shirt or one of those toys, you'll you'll get an album. I'm going to play this track in its entirety at the end of this episode, so you can get a taste of that. Yeah. See if you're interested, and yeah, hopefully you pick it up. And if you're one of the people that are listening to the show on our free feed, I really want to recommend you subscribe on Patreon. Yes, we don't often uh, tell people they should do that, do we? No. <laughs> We're on Patreon. You get a bunch of rad stuff if you subscribe. You get, at a lower level, four episodes a month and a comment show. At a slightly higher level, you get the bonus content episodes. So that's six episodes a month. And then sometimes you get some free music. You get some uh, You get some radio drama action like we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a really good deal. And, and I hope that uh, those of you who are just listening free, I mean, we're glad to have you, but uh, consider the Patreon option. Yes. Enough about the monstrous things we're making. How about this monstrous creation of Ray Bradbury's? This story was first published in the spring... 1944 issue of Planet Stories. It's a sci-fi space adventure tale, and it doesn't give up. It just keeps fighting. Yeah. What a great year for movies, too. 1944, you had Curse of the Cat People, Double Indemnity, Meet Me in St. Louis, I think, is that year. I actually was looking through the list, and first Marvel movie is that year. The Captain America serial from Republic was out in 44. Oh, wow. He was still Timely Comics character at the time, but Uh that would be the first appearance of Captain America on film. Wow. I like to think about what movies were out around the time of the stories that we read, not necessarily because it tells you what life is like, but it it gives you an idea of what people in general were thinking about. Like when we read something from the 1990s, I'm definitely going to watch The Net with Sandra Bullock (laughs) just to get a taste of the the times. Well, that movie scares the hell out of me every time. I haven't seen it since since then. So I've never seen The Net. Is that a recommendation I'm hearing or is... It's just rare that we read something from the 1990s and so I thought that would be a safe safe era for me to give an example. Okay. And right. uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely the scariest movie of the 90s. And the best. <laughs> Let's dig into the story. The Monster Maker begins with two guys on a spaceship as a meteor is flying straight at their vessel. But it is not a meteor. I think it might be either a meteoroid or an asteroid. What's the difference? Well, an asteroid is a large, rocky body in space in orbit around the sun. The exact size is a bit iffy. It could be anywhere from a few meters across to a few miles across. A meteoroid is a version of the asteroid, just smaller. So anything that's not that. And there's some discrepancy on what is the appropriate size of an asteroid. What is technically, how big Mm -hmm. does it have to be to be an asteroid? But when they say meteoroids, typically they mean like things that are measured in millimeters, like micro rocks. That oh, are wow. Out there. Really tiny. But that stuff's dangerous too, though, right? Because oh, yeah. it could, like a bullet could go through the hull of your ship. Or yep. Well, those little rocks are going into your ear. way faster than a bullet because there's no air to, to slow them down. They just go way faster than, than a bullet is going to be our third Pitch Black Manor album. <laughs> uh, a meteor, as he keeps using here, is actually when a meteoroid enters Earth's atmosphere and it vaporizes, it becomes a meteor which is often called right. a shooting star. So when you ever see that, that's a, that is a meteor. Now, a meteorite is a small asteroid that's large enough to survive coming into our atmosphere and actually hits the Earth. And you've got like a rock that's on the ground. 
like a color out of space scenario. That exactly. would be a meteorite. Exactly. Yes. But it's only a meteor in the time that it's in Earth's atmosphere burning up. So that's actually a short amount of time you can call it that. Yes. I think a lot of people don't know the difference, and especially Ray Bradbury's pretty fast and loose with his science. And usually it doesn't bother me, but for some reason, this one got my goat. It's not a meteor. I didn't even notice. It's an asteroid. Now, another thing, as much as I love The Empire Strikes Back, might be the best movie ever made. Real asteroid fields are nothing like that. Asteroids are miles and miles apart from one another. Like, it's really easy to Oh, you to wouldn't actually, find them grouped that no, way? No, Because wouldn't they be colliding with one another like crazy if that were the case? If they were that close together, they would all, because of grab, you know, each asteroid has its own gravitational force, they'd all just lump together and eventually form a big one. A super asteroid? Yeah, well, just Did an you asteroid. just create a new concept? <laughs> no. Now I got something else to be afraid of. So that The whole... net and super asteroids. <laughs> so the whole thing about, oh, it's really hard to get through this asteroid field is not based on any yeah. kind of reality. It's really very easy to navigate an asteroid field because they're really far apart from one another. <sighs> wow. Yeah. That's why Han Solo was so confident in that scene. Don't yeah. tell me the odds. Because <laughs> I have special information I got from Chris Lackey on HP Podcraft. <laughs> in your definitions, though, you did say those things have to orbit around the sun. If you're in deep space, I mean, couldn't it become colloquial to call things like what they confront here a meteor, possibly? Because they're, they're out here in future space world. Most of the time, you're in a solar system. I mean, they don't go into their faster-than-light travel stuff. But yeah, they're probably in a solar system. So if you're in a solar system and there's a rock whizzing around, it's orbiting typically the sun, not a planet, but I guess a rock could yeah, you're right. orbit a planet. You'd have to be between solar systems to have some rock float around out there, but I don't yeah, know right. how often that happens. I don't know if anybody knows because we haven't been outside of our solar system. So Ooh, That's what makes us a weird tale. <laughs> it sure does. So these two guys, one of the guys is Space Patrolman Marnigan, a.k.a. the Irishman. Yeah. And with him is photographer Click Hathaway. I, I'm assuming Click <laughs> is a nickname. I hope to God it's not yeah. his birth name, but... Could be like Mason Starr. It's more nominative uh, determinism. <laughs> yes, exactly. Whatever you call it. Now, this asteroid comes smashing into the ship, and it sends it spinning. As he holds on to dear life for, to Marnigan, Click thinks, you came hunting for a space raider, and you ended up cradled in a slab-sized Irishman's arms, diving at a hunk of metal death. What a fade out. What a fade out. Click is constantly thinking in camera and cinema terms, which I thought was a pretty modern story in that his character is filtering everything through his camera. It's yeah. actually, we'll see how he deals with stuff. Mm -hmm. Like these kids today with their Insta Rice and Teddy Grahams. <laughs> it's the same kind of thing. <laughs> I liked the Star Trek-esque cinema of the story too. You know, Hathaway only knew he was picked up and hurled against a lever bank. A lever bank. Yeah. That's some, <laughs> some good 1940s sci-fi right there. They fly the ship by pulling giant levers. It's great. Yeah. Uh, the ship is headed for a large asteroid big enough to land on, but they're going to crash on it. The ship crashes, bounces once, and then it hits, cracks open. Fortunately, they have spacesuits on. And they were hunting for a, did it say a space raider? So this was like some sort of chase or there's somebody that they're after when this went down. They're space patrol. So the whole ship is a total wreck. Click gets up and starts taking pictures because it's his thing. Yeah. He begins to give uh, Marnigan some directions on poses, but he's not having that right now. They almost died. Although he does come around to that. It reminds me a little bit of the discussion we recently had about keeping yourself busy in dire circumstances. Click's strategy here of uh, documenting everything they're going through is actually what keeps him sane. 
and then turns yeah. out to be instrumental in the story itself. Now, Click asks where they are, and, and Marnigan says a million miles from nobody. The asteroid is so small that he says if they walk in up opposite directions, they'll shake hands in two hours. <laughs> Marnigan expresses his disappointment, saying that the boys at Luna Base were hoping that he was going to capture the space pirate Gunther. Yes. And looking at his tank, he sees that they only have an hour left of air. So is it better to suffocate than it is to die in a crash? Who's to say? The setup for all of this stuff is great. You've got Gunther now. We understand there's this adversary and they have an out. The clock is set. They have 60 minutes to do whatever they're going to do to survive. Click then thinks, and then he comes to this conclusion, that meteor or asteroid that hit them was actually tossed at them. He says it was hot and asteroids aren't naturally hot. He's got proof on his camera. But Marnigan says, forget the camera. It's not important. We need air first, food second, and then a way back to Earth. Click believes that Gunther, the space pirate, was the one that flung this asteroid at them. And as they walk around, Marnigan laments this fate. He was supposed to get Gunther, and Gunther takes him out without ever looking in Marnigan's face. But as they walk, they hit a light gravity patch, something that shouldn't happen on a natural asteroid. The asteroid is man-made. Gunther has some kind of super gravity setup, but then they see something at a distance. Marnigan leapt backwards in reaction. Over a hill ridge swarmed a brew of unbelievable horrors. Progeny from Frankenstein's Ark, immense crimson beasts with numerous legs and gnashing mandibles, brown-black creatures, some tubular and fat, others like thin white poisonous whips slashing along in the air. Fangs caught starlight white on them. Hathaway yelled and ran, Marnigan at his heels lumbering. Sweat broke cold on his body. The immense things rolled, slithered, and squirmed after him. A blast of light, Marnigan firing his proton gun. Then, in Click's ears, the Irishman's incredulous bellow. The gun didn't hurt the creatures at all. I had kind of forgotten that the title of this was The Monster Maker at this point, because <laughs> the other things he'd set up were so dramatic and cool. There's so much going on in the story. Now, Click Hathaway finds a cave. They run in it. The mouth is too small for these large creatures to get into, but they're trapped and they're running out of air. The gun doesn't work. The creature's hides are too th thick. What are they going to do? Under pressure, man. I thought maybe the rest of the story would just be them in the cave. I really did. You were wrong. You were I very wrong. wrong, as we're going to find out here, because yeah. there's lots more that's going to happen in yeah. this story. So Marnigan makes a joke about picking out a monster. You know, which one do you want? You know, maybe you take the crimson one, and, and I'll take the, uh, the one with the little ruffles. Mm -hmm. And Click Hathaway laughs, but then he admonishes Marnigan for his gallo humors. And he yeah. responds, My father taught me, keep laughing and you'll have Irish luck. That didn't please the photographer. I'm Anglo-Swede, he pointed out. <laughs> I'm Anglo-Swede as well, and uh, we don't really make many jokes. The Irishman, I didn't realize, was that much of a Lucky Charms Irishman. A couple of times I thought that there were uh, misprints in the text, and then I realized, oh, no. me father taught me, keep laughing and you'll have Irish luck. <laughs> He's got like a space leprechaun outfit. We just watched the Irish episode on Rage Watch's Star Trek of Next Gen. Oh, yeah. Have English people being Irish. And if you could see me, I'm doing quotes. Irish mm. people. It is shameful. <laughs> it is so bad. 
and I just can't believe I'm getting all this crazy Irish stuff coming at me this week. It's just too much. Marnigan tries to lift his spirits by posing near the monsters, like doing silly faces and click does his thing. Mm -hmm. It says, literally, montage. <laughs> Marnigan sitting, chanting at the monsters. Marnigan smiling for the camera. Marnigan in profile. Marnigan looking grim without much effort for the camera. And then a close-up of the thrashing death wall that hold them in. So after the shoot, Click tells Martigan his theory. This whole thing is a setup. This is how Gunther operates. Has a base inside of a fake asteroid, throws little meteors at people, uses the super gravity to pull them down, and then these monsters eat up any survivors, then they can take the spoils. Yeah. Great plan if you don't have enough men to do piracy. You know, you can do this with a small crew because you got these animals. And if anybody comes looking for them, it all looks like an accident. It's a perfect crime. It's a perfect, it's cool, asymmetrical warfare. One thing I'm loving about this story as well is that it's a Ray Bradbury story. And as we've covered before, he's so cranky about technology. He's one of those futurist science fiction authors that actually is quite conservative and really hates all of this progress. It was so interesting to have this Instagram star as the hero, because if there's one thing I know Ray Bradbury would hate, it would be that. And I'm sure that Ray Bradbury would be furious looking at the news and seeing people with their cameras up taking pictures in the middle of a tragedy. He would find that yeah. very odd and disconnected and dystopian. And so this mm -hmm. Click character is ironically entertaining for me. And prescient. Now, the film that he has in his camera is special. It has a chemical on it that when you take the first picture, the chemical burns out and it sets the image in there, so basically develops itself. So the negatives, you can just pull them right out of the camera after the pictures are taken. And then he's got a micro viewer, so he puts the, the slides in there and they could look at them. Yeah, it's actually, I think he says the micro viewer is on the base of the camera. This thing is essentially an iPhone. It you is. Can, you can take yeah. the photos and then you can scroll through them to see what you got. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Now, the interesting thing here is that looking at the pictures, there are no monsters in them. Hmm. Marnigan's there, the cave is there, but there are no monsters. Hmm. Click Hathaway said, has an aha moment. If they don't show up on film, they aren't there. And why they didn't have a heated discussion about Dracula's at this point, I will never understand. <laughs> okay. He explains that these things are mental projections, illusions cast into the mind, which I guess is technology mm -hmm. that exists in this futuristic place because um, obviously I've never heard of such a thing, but no. Marnigan says, oh, okay, yeah, that is a thing. How do we deal with it? We can't just walk into those monsters. But Click says, actually, we can. And then he's going to go to do it, but Marnigan says, no, 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 no. If anybody's going to do brave stuff, it's me. <laughs> so he walks out there, but Click stresses, you must disbelieve the illusion so they might actually affect you in some way. So he just keeps thinking over and over, they ain't real, they ain't real. And of course it works. He boldly steps forward, the monsters disappear. Click seems to get a bit sentimental at this point for some reason, but then quickly says, these projections must be part of Gunther's plan. Mm -hmm. They either scare people off or they trap them in caves to suffocate them or starve to death or commit suicide. But enough of this talk, they've got 20 minutes left of oxygen and they are running around, so they probably even have less than that. It's so cool. The, I mean, I thought at first maybe it was a Scooby-Doo thing where the projector, they find the projector that's projecting the ghost. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. was there some kind of, this was just a visual trick. But I still like the idea that Gunther's all about the trickery. You think that you're just running into an asteroid and that's actually his missile. You think that there are monsters out there and there aren't. Yeah. What a cool villain. Yeah. He's a, a precursor to Mysterio, really. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. 
Now, Click gets another idea. Click is obviously the brains behind this operation. The projector, the thing that creates these illusions in people's minds, must be close. And if they choose to believe in these things, if they choose, if they can say, okay, I want to see the monsters, they will manifest again, but they'll manifest closer to where the projector is, and then they'll come at them, trying to drive them away from the entryway, he guesses. Right. Of course, it works. They're able to believe and then see the creatures in the distance, and then they just begin to move towards them. Click stresses again, they can't hurt you. This was where my mind was twisting up a bit, and on a couple of levels, because one was, if this is some kind of mental projection, would you be able to follow it to the source? Yeah. Being made to see these monsters, why would the monsters be... It's almost as if the mental projection starts, the monsters walk out, and you don't believe them until they get to you. You know, that was like a little bit of a dumb science thing. That is a dumb science thing that I don't quite go with. I don't know why it would make them... It looked like they would actually have to come out of a projector because they're just appearing in your your mind. But whatever, you know, we don't don't understand this. Maybe that is how it works. But then the other thing... (laughs) Maybe what it is is that the projections are trying to scare people away from the entrance to this place. And so wherever they are coming from, you would think that is where... Oh, that's true. They're, they don't want us to go, maybe. That's a good point. Or also it could just be that it's way stronger at the source. So there'll be a lot yeah. more monsters or whatever. You'll feel the effects a lot more. But then the second thing is having to ride the middle belief train is a little strange. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? How do you kind of believe in something? Maybe it's like doing hallucinogenic drugs where you can kind of steer things a bit. You uh, know, you can point. look at a painting or look at your face in the mirror and try and make it look like a, you know, it's rotting or whatever those types of like your mind can guide you in a way. I, yeah, I'm yeah. just guessing. Well, I do think it's probably something like that. But it's that sort of thing where once you see what's lying behind something, it's very difficult to again see the illusion yeah. that you were fooled by. And so it was a neat, I mean it was neat middle ground for them to have to deal with this. I liked the concepts, but it, but that was the one point. So like the meteor stuff tripped you up in the beginning. This was the point I went, what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it is a bit. Eh. Did, could you have done this exact same thing and explained less? You know what <laughs> I mean? And gotten yeah. the same result. Now, one of them gets close to Marnigan, one of these illusions, and he calls to Click. Oh, oh no, this one's actually real. And Click goes, no, no, it's not. You're losing yourself, dude. Pull it together. And Marnigan keeps chanting, it's only fake. It's only fake. And then they're able to get the direction from the illusions, from where they came from, and they find an entrance. Martigan has a plan. I'm going to go and distract the guards if there are any, and then you come in and blast them. But Click goes, uh, I don't have a gun. I just have a camera. <laughs> what good am I going to be with this camera that's gotten us out of every scrape so far? <laughs> Still, Martigan is going to go ahead to see what's up. There's an airlock and a corridor over their intercoms and their helmets. Click can hear this voice say, hey, put them up. And then there's some blasts that can be heard. And then Martigan screams. The voice then says, that's better. Don't try and pick that gun up now. Oh, so it's you. I thought Gunther had finished you off. How'd you get past the animals? Martigan says, I tied them pink elephants of Gunther's in a neat alphabetical bundles and stacked them up to dry, you louse. Yeah, and he's doing a jig the whole time. But damn you, they killed my partner before he had the chance. Where's me lager? <laughs> the guard believes the story. Yes. So Click then sneaks in. See this guy standing over Martigan in a spacesuit. So there's still no air in this part of the facility. Since he doesn't have a gun, Click just points his camera at the guy and says, I've got a weapon stronger than yours. One twitch and I'll blast you and the whole damn wall out from behind you. <laughs> so... 
this ploy works. The guy drops his gun. Mardigan picks up that gun. That was such funny phrasing, though. I've got a weapon stronger than yours. Hmm, that sounds very believable. I've got a gun that's three times better than your gun. Like the guns are going to fight. I, I don't know. It was yeah. just really funny. It sounds like something a photographer might say. Yeah. It's a really bad lie, but it, for some reason it works. I guess he's got the, the chutzpah to pull it off. Mm -hmm. And the guy drops his gun. Marnigan picks up his gun. Then they ask their prisoner where the door to the base is, and he gestures. Then they knock him out and stuff him in a barrel. Inside, they're able to get fresh oxygen tanks. They are now on the hunt for Gunther. Inside, this fortress is huge. It's like a city. They find the bank of machines that generates the illusions. And Marnigan says, hey, we should turn these illusions on these guys. Put the monsters yeah. on them on the pirates. But Click says, no, no, they're going to know exactly what's up because they made these monsters. Like, right, right. They'll know their illu the illusions and they'll disbelieve them. And Marnikin goes, ah, damn it. I wish the U.S. Cavalry would show up and help us. And Click goes, I got an idea. He's full of ideas, this guy. Wait a minute. The way the illusion machine works is by basing its creation on photographs. Like you, So these creatures were actual real creatures that were pictures and then they suck them into the machine. So Click's idea is to take pictures of Marnigan shooting, a couple of him walking, and then a few different versions of, of him pretending to be shot and falling yeah. down and dying, which is really cool. It is cool. And also because you have knowledge of how this is going to be laid out, uh, you have a little cinema knowledge. You put that together, but I think Bradbury's burying that a little bit. So when he says, yeah. you got to fall one way when I take a picture and then fall another way when I take a picture, the reader, I think, is meant to not understand why he's doing that. So that when right. the ingenious, when they start marching later and they're shooting at them and a couple of them are dying, you'll go, oh, that's why he did it. That's so ingenious to fake some deaths. So it seems even more yes. real. Uh, mm -hmm. Somebody in 1944 might not really get that yet. Of course. Yeah, yeah. So an hour later, Click Hathaway is walking down the main city street into this plaza. He's armed only with his camera, and he's quickly picked up by the pirates and brought to Gunther. Now, Gunther is not a brawny space pirate, but a frail old man. Yeah, a little Wizard of Oz action there. Click says, everything's over, Mr. Gunther. The patrol is in the city now, and we've captured your base. Don't try and fight. We've got thousands of men against your 85. Of course, Gunther thinks this is a ruse, but guess what? Out in the plaza, a bevy of Space Patrol soldiers show up. No one seems to notice they all have red hair. <laughs> yeah, maybe they're wearing helmets or something to hide they're that They're wearing fact. helmets. They've got their space helmets on, but yeah. you can see the hair through the helmet because they, they mentioned that. So Well, they're all holding booze and doing jigs, too, so it's like... <laughs> <laughs> Why are they falling for this clearly copies of the same Irishman over and over? Or maybe that's what it does. That's, you know, they're so prejudiced against the Irish. They go, yeah, that seems about right. That looks, that's what an Irish mob looks like. Now, instead of running, these pirates actually fight and the soldiers drop on both sides. When the yes. illusions are shot, instead of like the illusions of the monsters, these guns have an effect because like you said, they've got the recordings of him, of him falling dead. Click is taking pictures of this whole thing as it's going on. Yeah. Eventually, he just hits Gunther over the head when they're being overwhelmed. The rest of the pirates, they run. Click hears Mardigan yell, here, I'm here. And I thought it was pretty interesting that Gunther, with all of his space illusions and his magic, was killed by a paperweight. Because I think when they come in, they go, he's old and he's just pushing some papers around. And it's yeah. the idea is that he's this sort of bureaucrat. He's not even a, right. he's not a big, scary Darth Vader. He's just a pencil yeah. pusher and got killed by a yeah. paperweight. I thought that was neat. Yeah. Or I think knocked unconscious. I don't know if he's dead. Yeah, he just clocks him with a paperweight, so maybe not. This seems to have kind of that 19... The 1940s sort of everybody just gets knocked out and captured kind of thing. Right, right. <laughs> uh, one of the patrolmen left the group and ran up to the building. 
um, obviously the whole thing work. And this patrolman is the real Marnigan. He was in with the illusions of the oh. Marnigans and was able to, you know, actually shoot real guys because the illusions couldn't actually shoot anybody. But he was in there really shooting dudes. Only a handful of pirates are left and they have to go round them up. Marnigan asks if Click took any pictures and he shows him the pictures that he took. But since the illusions don't show up, it's just Marnigan standing around and all these space pirates getting really scared of him and running away. And he goes, it makes me look like a mighty brave man. It does it not? It does. Ah, look, look at me, Hathaway. I'm enjoying every minute of it. I am. I mean, do you think that when Click gets back, he's going to really let people think that the mad Irishman did this all on his own? (laughs) I think they're going to have a little bit of a battle over the truth of this incident. After slapping Marnigan's backside, Mm -hmm. tells him, hey, we've got some more work to do. There's still pirates to capture. All right, Click. We'll clean up the rest of them now. We're a combination, we two, we are. I take it all back about your pictures, Click. If you hadn't thought to taking pictures of me and inserting it into those telepath machines, we'd be dead ducks now. Well, here I go. Hathaway stopped him. Hold it until I load my camera again. Irish grinned. Hurry it up. Here come three guards. They're unarmed. I think I'll handle them with me fists for a change. The gentle art of uppercuts. Are you ready, Hathaway? Ready. Marnigan lifted his big ham fists. The camera whirred. Hathaway chuckled to himself. What a sweet fade out this was. That's the end of the story. Sometimes I feel a little uh, bad about, and, and it, it's an alleged thing, but that I killed Ray Bradbury um, <laughs> by visiting his grave the day before his, he died. But I actually <laughs> thought after reading the story, I got a scheme to bring him back up out of that grave. This story would work great as an iPhone commercial. As, oh, as, a, yeah. as a commercial for the technology or for Instagram, because you have this character who seems like frivolous, who's taking photos all the time, who's processing uh-huh. everything through the camera, you know, who's doing all these arrangements in the heat of battle. But all of that is what pays off. It's because of the photos that they know the monsters don't exist. It's because of the right. photos they're able to create the fake army at the end. I think if you did that, Ray Bradbury would come out of his grave angry and start destroying Los Angeles quite quickly. <laughs> Because you know that confronted with this technology, he would have written stories where all the people who are taking pictures are missing out on the beauty of life and getting murdered by the space robots. It's a great idea, Pfeiffer. I'm sure Instagram's going to snatch that right up. Well, this was a good one. And and thank you for the recommendation. A few people actually said this right away. Why don't you try the Monster Maker, you fool? And I'm glad we did because this is an awesome Ray Bradbury story and an awesome way to kick off the month. I want to thank some of our patrons for supporting us because they're all wonderful souls. I want to thank Sandrino. I want to thank Simia Canis. I want to thank Jerry Heinz. I'd like to thank Sunspots. With a Z. That sounds like it would have been a hip sunglasses store in the mall, you know, around like 1984. <laughs> Sunspots. I want to thank Nick Arthur. I'd like to thank Dominic Cavolo. I'd like to thank Carolyn Sabirge. Nicholas Palladino. Thank you so much. Thank you in captivity. Oh, no. <laughs> Is that a cry for help? It might be. <laughs> oh my gosh, we got to look into that. After. I'll assume it's not. Okay, yeah. And lastly, I'd like to thank Jacob Pata. Jacob, thank you. And I, of course, want to thank our reader for this episode, Lorelai Arisis. Thank you so much for your outstanding reading, Lorelai. Still the most famous Miss Trans New England, guys. Don't forget yeah. that. The whole length of the show, checked in, still the most famous. <laughs> And finally, here is the time, the world premiere of our first single from the album Night Creeps. Ladies and gentlemen, Pitch Black Manor is back. This is the track. It is Hellions.
things seem amiss. No more chickens in the pot, and you're staring into the abyss.